Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. Are you concerned about developing dementia or Alzheimer's? Well, there's help and there's hope. The CDC estimates that 40% of all dementia in our community can be prevented. This hour on River to River from IPR News, uh, we are delighted to have with us again Dr. Yogesh Shaw in our studio for the entire hour. Dr. Shaw is a geriatrician. Uh, he's also director of the Broadlawns Memory Center in Des Moines, and he is in our Des Moines studio. Dr. Shaw, welcome back to our program. Man, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. We'll um, be looking at some of the latest research, and a glance at it tells me that there's some encouraging things there on dementia. Um, uh, early detection, for instance, we'll have you get that uh, in, into that in, in just a moment, but we want to look at prevention, treatment, and answer questions uh, that uh, may be sent in by email or phone. Do you have a loved one who has dementia? can share your journey this hour and uh, your questions about research, detection, care, treatment, prevention of Alzheimer's, dementia. 1-866-780-9100, 1-866-780-9100, or email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Uh, let's start with the new research that you pointed out here and uh, perhaps along the way remind us of some of the terms and the differences in the terms that uh, we're using. Uh, we're using dementia and Alzheimer's. Also, we'll be talking about MCI, mild cognitive impairment. Dr. Shaw, where should we start when we dig into the new research? Good. Yeah, before we start about the research, uh, Ben, let me start my journey, and that will give you and the audience, the listeners, some idea about how far the field has come. So came to Iowa in 1994 in southern Iowa, Mount Air, uh, as a primary care family physician. And in 95, I was asked a very simple question uh, by my patient whom I had diagnosed dementia, and the family was there, two kids were there in Mount Air, my clinic, and they asked me a simple question, Dr. Shah, how can we prevent the condition you just diagnosed in my mother, our mother? And that time in 95, as, as you might know, Ben, there was no Google. Google was invented in 98. So from whatever research I can do, medical search I can do, there were only five articles about dementia prevention in 95. When I Googled the same thing, uh, same topic, dementia prevention, just a few days ago, there were more than 400 million hits in less, mm. than, less than a second. So, mm. so the, the field has grown significantly in these last uh, 20 plus, 25 plus years. And when I did my fellowship at Mayo Clinic in geriatrics with focus on mild cognitive impairment or early detection of dementia, then I was able to carry that knowledge forward here in Des Moines and apply that. So that time since then, since 1999, 2000, we've been talking about what we are here now, the field of how can we treat the early de conditions of dementia and even prevent it. So there's a lot of things happen happened in the last few years, and I'm able to apply that in our patients here in Des Moines. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, is let's then uh, I think we can jump into the new research that has to do with detection. Quite, uh, quite interesting here. Yeah, very interesting. So so far, let me give compare it with just even six months ago. So normally. The clinic would have patients who come in, either because they are brought in or they are concerned about their memory, and then we take history uh, that what happened, how it happened, do appropriate cognitive or brain memory screening in the office, and then do blood tests to rule out, make sure the thyroid is normal, the electrolytes are normal, the B12 and other vitamins are normal and then do MRI of the brain or scan of the brain to make sure there's nothing reversible and then give the diagnosis. Unfortunately, with that method alone, uh, we can be wrong. Physicians, clinics can be wrong about 20 to 25% of the time. Meaning, Mm -hmm. if I label somebody with Alzheimer's disease, it might be not Alzheimer's, it might be something else. So what's happened now at at our disposal is something called biomarkers. And what biomarkers mean, Ben, is that biological marker in which we use our medical system all the time, all the way from taking blood pressure or pulse, that's a biomarker, or doing simple tests like blood sugar or quarterly, three-monthly blood sugar average called hemoglobin A1c. But now we can do same thing for different types of dementia. We can do either the fluid from the back called lumbar puncture, then CSF, cerebrospinal fluid, and check what kind of protein it has and specific type of dementias have specific proteins or in very near future, we'll be able to do the same thing through blood. So there's a lot of growth in biomarker-based diagnosis of dementias. Help us understand, Dr. Shaw, what is in the spinal fluid? You mentioned proteins or, or, or blood that will also be for early detection. What is there that is being detected, and how does that relate to uh, what is going on in the brain? Yes, so what happens in... So just, just before we talk about what happens in that, dementia is an umbrella term, uh, and underneath that comes many different types of dementias, Alzheimer's being the most common type of dementia. And in, within that Alzheimer's disease, uh, two pathologies happen in the brain, uh, two kind of pathologies. One is collection of abnormal protein, protein which we don't need, and that's called amyloid, amyloid protein. And the second protein because of amyloid gets tau, T-A-U, tau protein. So these two proteins, which we don't need in our brain, gets collected in patients with Alzheimer's disease. And what this tap in the fluid in the back, the CSF, checks is the amount of amyloid and amount of tau uh, uh, in the fluid, and then also the f- blood can do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So this is a an advancement that has taken place in the last half year, you say? Yes, more. Yeah, it was available for a while, but now the science has moved far enough that we can depend on that fluid levels and not only depend, the future of dementia diagnosis will have to label, and it's called ATN-based diagnosis, how much amyloid 
is present, how much T for tau, how much tau is present, and N for neurodegeneration, that how much my brain cells are damaged. Uh, and based on that A for amyloid, T for tau, and N for neurodegeneration, that's the way we are going to diagnose future dementia. So yes, it's moved significantly in a very positive way that even my lay, lay patients, I, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when it was just available uh, to my one patient, uh, and he said, wow, Dr. Shah, now you can tell me and show me my blood result my, and tell me that, yes, I have this type of dementia. So I feel the patients are also getting excited about diagnosis because now there is a not just paper and pencil test, but also some other way to prove and show that what type of dementias are there. Mm -hmm. How widely available is this, uh, these type of uh, tests uh, uh, for dementia? Um, could any of our listeners go to their primary care physician, talk about it, or, or does it Will it take some time for it to uh, be accessible to all of us? Good, good question. Currently, it is not. It's available through all labs. So lumbar puncture, most most hospitals should be able to do lumbar puncture. Not not every each and every clinic. I was in Mount Air, so yes, Mount Air, a small town, might be able to arrange, but bigger bigger clinics should have capacity to do. A lumbar puncture, meaning uh, take uh, put needle in the back, uh, in spine, uh, and get get fluid out of that. That's available, and that needs to go to special labs. We send ours to Mayo Clinic. Uh, a few other labs can do it also. Uh, so that's mm -hmm. available. Uh, people, we need to get used to it. And then blood draw, as you know, we all do blood draw regularly, and this type of blood draw then goes to special labs also. Mayo Clinic has it. There's a Quest Lab. There's a LabCorp, and few others. Yeah, and um, the 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 cost of this does insurance uh, cover this? Good good point. So there's another one I've not mentioned yet. It's called something called amyloid PET scan. So there are CAT scans. We know CT scans. We know of the brain, the MRI of the brain. We know, but there's also something called PET scan. P E T PET scan, and there are special types of PET scan. Uh, which can detect this abnormal protein called amyloid. So though that scan then is called amyloid PET scan. Uh, and that's available in Iowa through University of Iowa now. Few other hospitals are considering to getting it. And CMS, the, the federal body which pays for our Medicare, is considering, uh, and actually the result will come out on October 16th very soon, whether they'll cover for this PET scan or not. And the reason for that is the future, the newer treatments, which I'm sure will cover, are based on this proof whether somebody has this amyloid in their brain through PET scan or through the fluid in the back. Mm -hmm. So currently the answer is not covered by all insurance. The lumbar puncture procedure gets covered by insurances. But the analysis of the fluid, uh, by not by everybody, but I, I am confident in next, by 2024, many of these will be covered. 
Mm-hmm. And so this will be detection like detecting uh, certain types of cancer with, uh, or, or polyps when you have, uh, uh, go in for, for that type of um, examination. Perfect. Ex- yes, I'm glad you mentioned that cancer, colon cancer, and polyp. This will be very similar to that, meaning, as we know, the reason we do colonoscope at 45 or 50 uh, and even earlier, if there's a family history, the reason for that is if we can detect this cancerous polyp, it takes about 10 years for that polyp to become actual cancer, then it, it gets difficult to treat. So similar thing is going to happen with dementia. Instead of waiting for dementia clinically to happen, if we can detect pre-dementia, mild cognitive impairment, it will be much better. Okay, I want to pick up on that point and answer any questions our listeners may have when we come back. Dr. Yogi Shaw is with us, director of Broadlands Memory Center. Join our conversation, 1-866-780-9100. Back in a moment. Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. We are back with more River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer, spending the hour with Dr. Yogesh Shaw, a geriatrician and director of the Broadlawns Memory Center in Des Moines. We're so glad to have him in the studio, sharing with us uh, what is very encouraging research on dementia, uh, talking before the break about detection. I'm sure there'll be some other areas of research that Dr. Shaw will like to share with us. And we'd love to have you shape this hour with your questions and your experiences, because we know that uh, there are millions in America, in fact, uh, According to um, statistics that I'm, I'm looking at now, about one in nine people uh, over the age of 65 have Alzheimer's uh, dementia. Um, and uh, so we want to, to look at where the research is and what can be done about it. one 780 or email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Uh, you talked about uh, testing blood uh, and perhaps spinal fluid and that becoming more widespread um, to detect uh, dementia. Uh, when I threw out at the beginning the uh, estimate by the CDC that uh, 40% of all dementia in our community can be prevented. Now, what if you test positive um, Take us the next step, Dr. Shaw. Uh, a, a test comes back positive. What will it show in terms of what type of dementia is there in a person? And then what can be done about it? So let, yeah, Ben, let's take a younger, healthier patient, uh, somebody in 60, 65, uh, had a strong family history, decided to, to do the test uh, on the spine and it came back positive now with the protein which can cause dementia. Doesn't have any symptoms yet, but mm-hmm. but worried. So if that person has now the protein, what I would do is to go through, make sure the rest of the biochemistry, there's no diabetes, there's no thyroid problem, there's no other medication which might be 
affecting mem memory and we can go into the memory pills which can affect it and then talk about prevention and talk about there is strong science now which can tell us that if we can control 12 factors in our life all the way from higher education finishing high school and then controlling hearing loss controlling and treating our depression not smoking managing isolation social isolation uh, and managing day to day our regular chronic condition hypertension diabetes cholesterol obesity physical exercise all of that put together has a strong positive factor that we can reduce dementia uh, by 40% at least 40% maybe higher so that mm -hmm. so that i would strongly give the message with help of uh, Dr. Quinn Lesk, whom Dr. Quinn Lesk and actually I wrote that article in the Boeing Register that there is help and hope. Uh, this is article about how to prevent and it links all the websites about prevention. And then also Dr. Quinn Lesk and her team prepared questions about our lifestyle, that, that what kind of lifestyle is healthy towards prevention and what kind of lifestyle is not healthy towards prevention. So we can, I talk about that to the patients. So just to give you one example of social isolation, as we, many of us have seen it and felt it during pandemic, what happens to the people who are socially isolated, lonely? Loneliness now, according to CDC, is considered as the bad effect of loneliness on the body are like smoking 15 cigarettes per day. Mm. So the cigarette effect is on the loan. So, so meaning if I intentionally it's socially isolated because I need some time onto my own, that's different. But lonely people are people they need and they want social connection but there's no they, they can't get it. They don't have enough good friends, they don't have family, and they are lonely. And that is, so that can affect uh, social isolation. Loneliness can affect our memory, depression, and many other things. Dr. Yogi Shah is with us, director of the Broadlawns Memory Center in Des Moines. Your questions about all kinds of dementia, treatment, uh, detection, prevention, one 780 or email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Let's go to our phones uh, with Michelle. Michelle, you're on the road, I'm sure, hopefully driving uh, safely, hands uh, free from your instrument, but uh, let, let's uh, dig into what you want to talk about, Michelle. Thank you. Sure, sure. Thank you, yes, and driving safely. Um, I have a family member in their early 80s who was diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment in the usual way, I think earlier um, the doctor mentioned on paper, and we've done no additional testing beyond that, and they're just monitoring. And I'm just curious as to what we can do for someone in that age group to help prevent the progression of disease. Thank you, Michelle. So, Michelle, this, uh, the prevention doesn't stop at uh, any particular age. We can all work on the well-proven 12 factors about prevention, dementia prevention, all the way from, uh, all the way from birth actually, to till we die, whether it's at, at 80, 90, 100 or more. And the reason I mention all the way uh, from birth is in England, uh, Michelle, the government is spending 
extra money to provide nutritious food all the way from starting because they, they can connect that if we eat healthy in early age, it will help us in long term. So to your loved one at age of 80 with mild cognitive impairment, I would say do the 12. Uh, if you have access to a website or newspaper, Des Moines Register, go to the article Dr. Quinlesk and I wrote on uh, the dementia prevention and there's a help and hope. Uh, and there are a lot of links uh, on that. Uh, and just see what, what part your loved one would need, whether is it, is it depression, is it uh, social isolation, is it blood pressure monitoring. And all of that will help to reduce the chance of MCI, mild cognitive impairment, progressing to dementia. Because as, as Ben mentioned, uh, the po- it's, MCI is like a polyp of cancer, that if we can catch MCI and work and put all our effort to treat it, uh, prevent it, we can reduce chance of that condition becoming dementia by up to 40%. Michelle, thank you very much for reaching us. Uh, safe travels. All right. Thank um, you. All right, Michelle, if you'd like to join our conversation with Dr. Shaw, 1-866-780-9100, 1-866-780-9100, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Dr. Shaw, you mentioned younger people here. This is an interesting example because I understand you're noticing younger people increasingly interested in dementia research, and really why not if we can get a, a grip on lifestyle changes as a younger person that may prevent um, um, dementia as we age. Yeah, and, and, and Ben, that's the hope from the, the national and international community on dementia. I was at a big international meeting in Amsterdam just a few weeks ago, uh, and then and the focus is younger is because the younger people, just like any other condition, if there is a cancer, cancer, in 80s was not a topic to talk about because people say, okay, cancer, then what? What am I going to do? What is my doctor going to do in 70s and 80s? But now people don't mind sharing and talking about early detection of cancer. Similar thing is happening in dementia, that since we have ways to detect very early at mild cognitive impairment stage, we have ways to talk about prevention, and and as I mentioned, ways to even... and introduce the new anti-amyloid treatment of that way people at younger age, in their 50s and 60s, are coming out to our clinic and talking about, say, my mother had it, what can I do at my age in my 50s, 55, 60s? Mm-hmm. In fact, on that point, Dylan in Marshalltown writes us an email uh, about uh, when his mother died. Dementia was listed as a secondary cause of death, uh, Dylan in Marshallstown says, I don't understand how dementia can cause death. Please explain this. Uh, Dylan, unfortunately, yes, uh, dementia has now become the fifth or the sixth cause of death and moving very uh, fast uh, because we have been able to control and reduce the death due to heart disease and cancer. So what happens in in patients with dementia uh, the three main changes happen to our brain and body. One, there is a 
body doesn't get up uh, regularly, so there's infection, both infection in the lungs as well as infection of the skin. So that infection is one of the common cause. Second, uh, the brain and the muscles of the swallowing don't talk to each other properly. So when I swallow patient with dementia, late stage of dementia, especially Alzheimer's type, uh, when they swallow, the, instead of food going through the food pipe into the stomach, tends to go in small pieces into the lungs, and that causes something we call it as aspiration pneumonia. Uh, so that's a second cause of death. And third uh, common cause of death is because the muscles of the leg and brain are not uh, connecting well to each other, and that tends to be false, false leading to occasionally hip fracture, and that hip fracture then leading to death. So these three, uh, the falls and hip fracture, infection, and aspiration pneumonia tend to be common cause of death because of dementia. Mm-hmm. Join our conversation, one 780 9100 Let's go back to our phones. Uh, Dr. Shaw with us talking today about the latest uh, dementia research, prevention, treatment, detection. Bob is with us in Iowa City. Hi, Bob. Welcome to the program. Hi, and thank you. Hey, Dr. Shaw. First and foremost, thanks for your research on the subject matter. And uh, I've done some research regarding uh, CTE, and I wanted to ask you uh, t- two things. Is You know, the brain swells at... Uh, 102 and tau protein dies off in the neurons at 104 and i wanted to ask you if you think he could have something to do with cte but more importantly do you think your testing would work with testing uh, players football players for cte as it does uh, in association with your testing for dementia okay so, so you're you're taking us off into concussion trauma just so we're clear uh dr shaw we're we're we're, we're, we're reaching out to another brain problem we have in our society right yeah, this, the tra- traumatic encephalopathy, where unfortunately a lot of younger patients, the football players and uh, and many other players, rugby players, get this uh, uh, trauma- encephalopathy because of this constant back and forth trauma to the brain. So the in that pathology uh, about the exit, uh, whether how much of tau is there, how much of amyloid, it's less likely to be amyloid-based pathology, but more tau. What happens in the, pro- the, the progression of disease is the amyloid in Alzheimer's is the first one to get collected, and with that amyloid comes tau, but not all types of dementias have amyloid, meaning uh, there's a condition, as you might know, frontotemporal dementia, the one which, uh, unfortunately, Bruce Willis has, that does not have as much uh-huh. am- amyloid, but it has more of the another protein called TDP43, uh, while the Lewy body dementia, what Robin Williams had, that again does not have that much amyloid, but has another protein called alpha-synucleopathy. So the CTE would be more have tau, uh, and then that I've not read directly much about how much of amyloid and tau. Currently, we are focusing on more on the de- dementias which are caused through other processes. Mm-hmm. Bob, thank you for the great okay. question from Iowa City. Take care. All right. Thank you, Dr. Shaw. Thank you. Bye-bye. Let's go. Uh, squeeze in another call before we take a break. Michael is on the road as well. Michael, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. 
Go ahead, please. Hello. Can you hear me? Absolutely, Michael. Can you hear Welcome. Me? What's yes? What's your question? Maybe you can't hear us, but go ahead, please. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, my mother was recently diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. My father is uh, being tested uh, pretty much as we speak. Uh, my maternal grandmother had uh, some suspicion of Alzheimer's disease. Um, and my family is uh, concerned uh, about what what we do next. Uh, I I understand, you know, the the exercise and that sort of thing, and and you know, cholesterol lowering and maintaining good blood pressure and all the all of these factors are very important. I'm wondering about the significance of NMN and if that is is. How, how much research really is is there uh, uh, regarding whether or not that's a, a helpful thing? Uh, okay, we have about two minutes before we go to break. Uh, N-M-N, Dr. Shaw, can you enlighten us as to what Michael's referring to and uh, uh, Michael, what do you mean? Uh, tell, tell us what do you mean by N-M-N? Michael? Can't, hello? Yeah. Can you hear me? Quickly. Yep. Quickly, Sorry, Michael. Yeah. Um, I don't remember exactly what that stands for. Uh, it's it's recently been uh, touted by some uh, Harvard uh, physician physicians who are studying uh, longevity, um, and it's it's an NAD bo- booster. It's supposed to help. Uh, repair DNA and and that sort of thing, and they're okay. claiming they're making all sorts of claims about yeah. Okay, uh, Michael, thanks, uh, Doctor Shaw. Does that give you some more information? No, it does not, unfortunately. And and what I would say, and we can talk more after the break, is that yeah, there are a lot of supplements. Unfortunately, because uh, the industry, pharmaceuticals, medication wise, we didn't have an answer or a magic bullet. So a lot of people are trying a lot of over-the-counter supplements uh, without proof. I'm not saying this product doesn't have proof. I'm just mentioning that, no, I do not know this. Yeah, and and this might be in the 30 seconds we have before the break. As with any type of information online, uh, you know, you talked about the millions of hits uh, you get if you type in dementia research. There is, I would imagine, a lot of misinformation out there. You have to know what your source is, Dr. Shaw, I imagine, to, to, to get the credible science here, right? Uh, agree. And I would, yes, uh, especially the supplements. I, and I used to be, uh, when I was medical director of complementary medicine at Mercy Hospital here in town years ago, so I used to do a lot of research on what's available on the market, for, especially for memory, what works, what doesn't work, even including a product known as ginkgo biloba, which we liked it, we we promoted it, but that doesn't work all the time. So it's okay. not, yeah, supplements are not controlled by industry. Okay, be especially uh, skeptical there of the supplements you may take to reduce uh, or treat uh, dementia. Uh, join our conversation. Dr. Yogi Shah is with us. Uh, back for the final segment in just a moment. It's River to River from IPR News. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. 
Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. And we're back midstream in this edition of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. This hour, we're looking at the latest in dementia research, uh, detection, uh, treatment, uh, prevention. Uh, The CDC estimates that 40% of all dementia in our community can be prevented. Dr. Yogi Shaw is with us, a geriatrician, also director of the Broadlawns Memory Center in Des Moines, answering your questions, responding to your experiences. Uh, perhaps you or a loved one have dementia. 1-866-780-9100, 1-866-780-9100, or email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. We go before we go back to more listener questions, Doctor Shaw. The, the, the last caller um, talked about this in his family, the family being worried, uh, and then we know, for instance, in cancers, um, breast cancer, for instance, that runs in families. To what degree do we understand the genetic components of dementia running in families? Would say. Uh, I would say this particular case, what I, we mentioned from Michael mentioned, uh, the, when we, there's a two parts of genetic part of dementia. One is uh, there's a gene called APOE4, APOE, APOE. Uh, so that gene, if somebody carries four and four type of APOE, there's a higher chance that person would carry for dementia. When we talk about the familial, the one dementia which runs in families, uh, fortunately, it's only very small percentage, only less than 1% of population around the world carries that gene, uh, which is different gene. It's a PSS1 and 2 gene, which carries in the family. So most likely, just listening to Michael's age-wise, father-wise, I don't think that would be the familial gene which that would be carried in Michael. But if Michael is worried, very likely, then the then it's appropriate to do this gene, APOE4, and, and also uh, appropriate to ask for and do the biomarkers if there are changes or suggestion of memory concerns. So that that's possible. The other, the other part, what he mentioned, is that the substance, uh, the possible substances over the counter which might help memory my concern about that is the unlike the medications what doctors we providers can prescribe like the new one called lacambi that i can prescribe before i can prescribe the company in this case isai has to submit all the research of years and years of research to fda and the fda has to go through that and then give the conclusion yes this is good for Americans or not. And then based on that, CMS, our paying agency, decides, yes, we'll pay for this new drug or not. But mm-hmm. in case of the supplements, FDA do not have, they lost the control in 96. There was a big uh, court battle. So FDA has no control of what kind of substances can come on the shelf, over the counter, where patients can take or not. Dr. Shaw, let's talk a little bit more. We, we talked about the 12 factors. Uh, let's talk specifically, if we could, about um, physical and mental activity. Um, specifically, a study just published in JAMA finds that people who stay seated for long hours at work and home are at a much higher risk of developing dementia than people who sit less. 
And these negative effects uh, of extended sitting uh, so strong, according to these researchers, uh, what they found that even people who regularly rec- exercise face higher risk if they sit for much of the day. So that's not good news for those of us who have work that is very much connected with sitting. Uh, and it's a large uh, study of nearly forty, nearly 50,000 men and women aged 60 or older uh, supporting the idea that the more time spent in, spent in sedentary behaviors increases uh, the risk of dementia. Comment on this study and its so, significance. Yes, very significant. And yes, agree on the study. And we've been working on this. And Mayo Clinic did something similar years ago, even that. And that's why the workstation, the workstation, which are uh, one of the physician at Mayo, uh, started with the concept of treadmill as a workstation and w- would do very slow treadmill. So, yes, the concept is true. Uh, the study is true that uh, if I work out in my gym or somewhere for one hour and then sit from on my desk for eight hours, that nullifies all the work I did before coming to my work. So what's the solution? Mm. If you cannot ha- afford to have or if your place doesn't allow you to have a stand-up desk, then I would say that to try to get up every hour or every two hours, even for a few minutes. doesn't have to be long gap. Just get up, walk around, take a quick walk, and come back. If your building has stairs, take those one, two, or four stairs quickly, uh, and then come back. If you can take call uh, and then walk also, that that's even better. Uh, walking meetings uh, are getting popular in many workplaces that walk for 10 minutes with your colleague and talk about whatever topic of business rather than sitting in your office. So yes, uh, 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 this study mentioned this. Uh, CDC has talked about the bad effect of sitting for more than six, seven hours uh, on the brain, on the body. So d- definitely agree on the study. Yeah, and, and I take it this is not a big surprise because we've known in, through other studies there is a, a big correlation between sedentary time and the likelihood of other problems, heart disease, obesity, diabetes, premature death, right, compared to those who get up and move around a lot. Yes, and then, and we all want magic pill. Uh, the, if, if somebody was to have family history of dementia and say, okay, Dr. Shah, what can I, which pill can I take? whether over-the-counter or prescription to avoid this condition, what my grandmother had, my mother had. Unfortunately, there's no pill, there's no magic pill. The magic pill is in the exercise. It doesn't have to be joining the gym. A lot of studies like this concept band called Blue Zones where uh, Dan Butner and there's a Netflix series on that now, studied the peop- yeah. countries around the world, uh, Okinawa, Jama- J- Japan, Sardinia, Italy, Loma Linda, California, and others, where people live to be their 90s and 100 and don't have dementia. They don't do- join gym. They work out. They just walk. They do gardening. They do their own, own housework. So the pill is in doing some form of regular exercise, uh, physical exercise. Right, and I remember Dan Butner um, many years ago was on this program a couple of times when, at the launch of the Blue Zones. And I remember you mentioned Sardinia, uh, that it was uh, sheep farmers on Sardinia, just that regular exercise, not anything, you know, no quick pace, just the fact that they are moving so much of their time helps uh, of their lives, of their days, uh, helps them uh, become uh, 
um, healthier. And then the reason, Ben, is there is a chemical reason for that. Every time we move, walk, move, jog, swim, uh, climb, the, 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 the muscles of the big muscles of the body, thigh muscles, secrete a chemical which goes by term B as in boy, B, D, D as in dog, uh, B, D, N, F, brain-derived neurotropic factor, BDNF. And that's the chemical which helps to form new cells in the brain and new connections in the brain. Mm -hmm. Um, Teresa, uh, listening to Iowa Public Radio in Kansas City. Thanks for listening to us uh, all the way from Kansas City. Teresa asks, can you explain the difference between Alzheimer's and other dementias? You touched yes, on that, I guess. Yes, uh, yeah. Teresa, uh, Teresa yeah. great question, common question. So dementia is a broad umbrella term, which has uh, many different types of the conditions, Alzheimer's being the most common uh, and then there are other types. The other common types are something called vascular dementia, where people with stroke or uncontrolled hypertension, cholesterol, tend to get memory problems. That's called vascular dementia. There's something called Lewy body dementia, where it's a, it happens to people with less memory problem, but more of the problem with they see things which are not in the room. We call it visual hallucinations. They see small people, small animals, uh, pink flamingos, and they tend to fall more frequently. Uh, as I mentioned, Robin Williams had that Parkinsonism, Parkinson's and Louis, but that's called Louis body dementia. And the other one, the younger people get it, it's called frontotemporal dementia, FTD where there's less of a memory problem, more of a behavior problem, eating disorders, sexual disorders, and then people tend to have other behavior changes. So, and, and sometimes, many times, this happens in a mixed dementia, meaning I might, somebody might have Alzheimer's disease along with vascular dementia, and it's called mixed dementia. Mm. Go back to our phones if you just joined us um, the final few minutes with Dr. Yogi Shaw, director of the Broadlawns Memory Center, uh, catching us up on um, uh, all your uh, questions uh, related to dementia. Uh, let's go to Patrick in Iowa City. Hi, Patrick. Hi, Ben, and thank you for your time here as well as Dr. Shaw. I'm, I've read a couple studies about both sauna and cold bath being beneficial for Alzheimer's and dementia. And I was just curious if there was any validity to that, as well as potentially hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Yeah, so, okay. the, uh, Patrick, uh, yes, uh, Sona, uh, I read the study also, and the study was strong on using Sona and helping to re remove some of the plaque, uh, the protein we talked about, amyloid protein. So I, I feel positive, supportive of that. Hyperbaric oxygen, unfortunately, even though Russians have uh, used to use it in their 70s and 80s and 90s, and the rich Rus Russians would have the hyperbaric chambers in their home, there are not strong studies coming out to support the need for hyperbaric oxygen for dementia prevention or even treatment. Uh, on the contrary, uh, regular use of hyperbaric oxygen can cause uh, lung problems, the fibrosis. So I would not support that, but sauna, uh, yes. Uh, if But sauna would be, I would say, only after doing some workout exercise and then sit in the sauna. Don't just sit in the sauna. 
Patrick also mentioned cold water therapy. Uh, anything to add to that? No, cold water, uh, Patrick, I've, uh, it's, of course, people use it for muscles and muscular pain, but I've not read much on cold water for dementia prevention. There's something about cold shower, which uh, occasionally there are studies about boosting immunity, but not directly for memory or dementia prevention. Uh, Jeremy, um, writing from Oklahoma, but he's listening to Iowa Public Radio. Hi there, Jeremy. He asks, uh, where are we uh, at with psilocybin use in dementia treatment? So there he's asking about uh, psychedelics. Of course, a resurgence in uh, psychedelics research, uh, a lot of promise shown there. What about uh, as concerns dementia? Uh, I've I've read uh, Pat, uh, Jeremy uh, one or two study, but not enough for me to feel comfortable to either talk about it or even talk. If somebody's taking, I would not support or take it away. There's not enough proof yet, as you know. In in scientific world, we need to have a lot of uh, double blind placebo control studies to see whether it works or not. So unable to comment on it. Mm-hmm. One area we haven't touched on, let's go to diet uh, and per- perhaps specifically the relationship between the microbiome in our guts and the uh, and, and dementia. Do we know if there is a connection there? Yes, g- great question. Uh, man, this was uh, discussed uh, at uh, Amsterdam meeting. Uh, that they, the people with chronic constipation, meaning if uh, the bowel movements are not coming every day, but it takes every third day, that's called chronic constipation on a regular basis, not okay once in a while. And so that uh, group of people were studied over three years, and that tend to that group had more dementia compared to group which had no constipation. So yes, there is a strong connection between gut microbiome, the microbiome meaning bacteria in our gut, because we know now there are lots of different types of bacterias. There are bacterias which are, we call it positive bacteria. They help to produce the chemicals we need for memory and depression avoiding, while there are bacterias which can produce chemicals which can cause this amyloid plaque we talked about. So strong connection between gut microbiome and strong connection between constipation and dementia. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go to what will have to be our last caller as our hour is winding up. Trent is with us in Cedar Rapids. Uh, Just a a couple minutes left. Trent, uh, what do you have to ask Dr. Shaw? Trent, are you there? Yes, Trent, we're hearing you. Go ahead, please. Hi, uh, my name's Trent. I've uh, had several head injuries throughout my life from accidents and different falls. and uh, I just wondered, I'm 57 now, at what point do I need to start worrying about dementia? Okay, any connection between head injuries and higher risk of dementia? Thanks, Trent. Trent. Sorry to hear that about head injuries. I would say, uh, yes, start, uh, not worry now, but if you have concern or if your loved one or uh, spouse or friend has mentioned about your concern, then I feel it's appropriate time to get baseline tested. Uh, doesn't mean you'll have dementia, but once you have the baseline and as, as more and more treatments come on the way, 
more and more easy ways to come detect detection as i mentioned biomarkers then you at least when you have if you have any changes you'll be ready to take treatment so no need to worry now if you don't have symptoms but definitely consider having a baseline Okay, we have to end this program. I want to thank our listeners for the many good questions here. Dr. Shaw, leave us with hints about how to go about for the best searches online to, to find out about those 12 factors and uh, and where we should look just to inform ourselves more about the latest research. So, so in summary, Ben, I would say we are at the stage of dementia world where there's a lot of good information, a lot of good knowledge, and the future is much brighter than what it was in last even 100 years. So the to start with, prevention is possible. A lot of good websites on CDC. If you just go to CDC and do dementia prevention, AARP has donated, devoted the full website on brain health, uh, and Alzheimer's Association has a lot on prevention. So those are the three I would go. And then, then uh, get detected early. Look for... And don't wait for dementia to happen, which is clinical. Like now I'm, I can live independent. Start early uh, in the stage of mild cognitive impairment. And then you'll have five, seven good years to work on and not have the clinical symptoms of dementia. So much valuable information you provided this hour. Dr. Gyoge Shaw, director of the Broadlands Memory Center in Des Moines. Uh, we look forward to having you back in our studio, Dr. Shaw. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Today's program produced by Caitlin Trump. Our executive producer is Catherine Perkins. Tomorrow, of course, Politics Wednesday. We hope you'll join us for that. I'm Ben Kiefer. Thanks for being with us.